In the Massachusetts village of Northampton, a congregational pastor knelt in prayer. And he was burdened for the 1,100 souls who lived in his community. In a few minutes, he would be walking up into the pulpit. And should he tell people that everything was well with their souls? Or should he tell them what he really believed? That unless they experienced the new birth through faith in Jesus Christ, they were headed straight for hell. The decision was made. This tall, thin-faced man arose. He adjusted his periwig and he entered the sanctuary. That day, in 1734, that day marked the birth of the most notable revival America has ever experienced. Nothing like it had happened before, and nothing quite like it has happened since. The dark conditions pressed Jonathan Edwards to his knees that Sunday. Gone was the God-fearing generation which settled the land of America. The new generation? Well, they had forgotten God. They were just living for themselves. Immorality, debauchery, and self-interest ruled. Few cared about the next world. And even those who held to the externals of religion had lost the heart of it. Several years after this, Jonathan Edwards preached his famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, in which he declared mankind's own attempts to avoid falling into the bottomless gulf due to the overwhelming weight and pressure towards hell are as insufficient as a spider's web would have to stop a falling rock. It's my understanding when Jonathan Edwards delivered that sermon, he had his head down and he was just reading the sermon. In the congregation, one individual who was there wrote down what he experienced. Before the sermon was done, there was great moaning and crying out through the entire room. And people were saying out loud, what must I do to be saved? Our title today is Revive Us Again. Our text is found in the book of Psalms, chapter 85, verses 1 through 8. I'm going to ask you to stand if you're able, and let's proclaim God's word together. It'll also be up on the screen, but let's read together. Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again 
that your people may rejoice in you. Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. Thank you for reading together. You can be seated. So, Lord, this psalm, these requests are our requests. Lord, would you let me hear what you will speak today through your word? And Lord, may that be all of our prayer. Lord, as we go through this passage today, I suspect in my own heart there might be pushback in in the hearts of those who are listening here in the sanctuary or engaging online. For, Lord, this is a topic that, uh, while we all want to see revival, uh, Lord, some of us um, are pretty content to live the way we are. And so, Holy Spirit, do your work. Take the word in which you ins- that you inspired, uh, illuminate it to us that we might understand it, and then would you empower it. May it go down deep into our souls, providing encouragement and comfort and also conviction Lord, would you use this time to equip us, to mold us, to humble us, to change us, to revive us again, that we might be a people who rejoice in you. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's begin with the definition. To revive means to re-life or to live again, to flourish anew. Some synonyms include renewing, repairing, restoring, and refreshing. One pastor says you revive something when you bring it back to life. So revival awakens the saved from a state of spiritual slumber. Here's a more formal definition. Revival is the sovereign act of God whereby he calls his backsliding people to repentance and new obedience to him. I like how another pastor puts it. We need an old-fashioned, heaven-sent, soul-saving, sin-erasing, devil-chasing, banner-waving, Christian-flaming, Holy Ghost revival from the pulpit to the pew. Let's have revival that starts with me and you. According to multiple sources, scores of students at Auburn Auburn University recently surrendered themselves to Christ, and many of them got baptized. That put a smile on my face because God saved me by his grace and for his glory when I was in college. In February, perhaps you remember, accounts of revival at Asbury circulated. And when that was happening, I started praying this prayer. Do it here, Lord. Do it here. Now it's possible to manipulate a movement or focus on emotional excesses, but I never want to be skeptical of what the Holy Spirit might be doing what he might be doing today in your life, in my life, in our church. John 3.8 says, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. 
In two weeks, we're going to launch a series on the Holy Spirit. We're calling that Our Holy Helper. Um, I'll be out of town next weekend. Lord willing, I'll be on the honor flight with my dad going to Washington, D.C., and I, I can't wait to do that. My dad is 87 years old and served in the Army, and he never thought he'd be able to go on this, and I can't wait to do that with him. During the first weekend of our Unshaken and Unashamed series, the Holy Spirit seemed to be blowing through all three of our worship centers, I, the worship center and all three services. I've, well, I've never experienced anything like it. When we gave an invitation at the end of that sermon and challenged people to stand only if they're willing to offer themselves as a living sacrifice to God, completely and totally, there were hundreds of people who stood over those three services. I didn't even know how to put that into words. But we shouldn't be surprised in one sense because we've been praying Psalm 85, verse 6, during this past year, during our everyone emphasis, will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Now, I don't know what that was, but, but I know some decisions were made that day. And I, I started thinking, Lord, Make it so. Do it here, Lord. Bring revival now. And it was out of that that I sensed the Lord calling us to spend a weekend on the topic of revival. And so let's look at Psalm 85. Let's begin with observation. That's the right place to begin when you're studying a passage of Scripture. We don't go right to what does this mean to me, but we go with what does this say? What am I observing? What do I see in this psalm? And so let's begin. There's a heading at the top of this psalm to the choir master, meaning it was intended to be sung in worship. Notice, inspired by the Holy Spirit, written by the sons of Korah. Now, that's an interesting phrase because Korah, well, he's a guy who led a bunch of people in a rebellion, and he was swallowed up by the earth. But his sons were chosen to be worship leaders. This shows that God does a new work in each generation. So no matter what your parents or grandparents were like, God can start a new family tree in you. Number two, this psalm contains a community lament. And this psalm captures this longing for revival, for God to breathe through in a fresh way. Here's the setting. The setting took place sometime after God's people returned from exile in Babylon. They were there for 70 years. For most of us, words Babylon. Okay, think Iraq, Iran. Do you know there's always been tension between Iran and Israel, God's people? And they, Babylon came in, wiped out the temple, destroyed the land, and took the Israelites back to Babylon. Well, now 
They've been allowed to go back to their land, the land that the Lord promised them all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. And so the Israelites are back in their land. They get to work rebuilding. They rebuild the temple. They rebuild the wall. You can read about that in Ezra and Nehemiah. And things are going pretty well until they stop working and they start focusing on their own houses. You can read about that in the book of Haggai. They were on fire spiritually. They're thrilled to return to their land. But then stagnation set in. And you think, well, how could they do that? Aren't we the same way? I mean, we can get all fired up, and then a couple weeks later, we're like, what happened? I don't even want to read my Bible anymore. One pastor remarked, this happens in churches. We move from being a ministry to a movement, to a museum, where we're just remembering the past, to a mausoleum. May that never happen here. Number four observation, the psalm begins by addressing the Lord. Look at how verse one begins. In the first three verses, you see the word you or your used ten times to refer to Yahweh. This tells us that we must seek an encounter with the Lord, not some kind of emotional experience. No, we seek the Lord. We begin with praise and not petition. Notice next, number five. We see an emphasis on six things God did in the past. So he's remembering, God, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes. You forgave the iniquity. You covered all their sin. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. So first three verses, focus on what God did in the past. Ah, but notice now, the next three center on the present. And so here's the movement. God, you did it before. Do it again right now. Join me in verses 4 through 7. Here are the four requests. Restore us. Revive us. Show us and grant us. And finally, number seven, there's a progression here. Notice it starts with you focusing on the Lord, and then there's a focus on their sin, what our ancestors did, their sin, and then us together. Oh, but notice verse eight, me. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak. Ultimately, Revival begins with me. Begins with you. It's not saying give them revival. It's, Lord, give me revival. Let me see if I can pull all this together into a summary statement. Lord, since you revived others in the past, do it again right now and let it begin with me. I want to point something out at the end of verse 2. You see the word selah. This little word appears 74 times in the Bible, many in Psalms, also in the book of Habakkuk. And commentators believe that this was a musical um, note. It had the idea of singers would stop singing until only the instruments were heard. 
According to one Bible dictionary, this phrase can also signal a musical crescendo, so the music's building, and then it's followed by silent reflection. The idea is one of meditation. It's like, okay, we just read that verse. Let's pause and think about it. The Septuagint, which is the earliest Greek translation of the Old Testament, translates Selah as intermission, like time out. Here's the idea. Catch your breath. Reflect on what was just said. The Amplified Version renders it this way. Pause and calmly think about that. Well, in order to bring that to the sermon today, we're going to pause several times during this message and we're going to think about what we just heard, what we just read. And we're going to use that time. I'll guide us through that uh, to pray. And so for our purposes today, I want us to look more closely at verse 6. Will you not revive us again that we may rejoice in you? Number one. Only God can send revival. We must first cry out to Yahweh because we want his way in our life. Psalm 69, 32. You who seek God, let your hearts revive. Seek God, then revival. Psalm 71, 20. You who, are ma- you who made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again. Mark this. Revival's not worked up by us. No, revival is sent down by God. In his classic book, Why Revival Tarries, Leonard Ravenhill writes, <laughs> I like this, revival is when God gets so sick and tired of being misrepresented that he shows up himself. <laughs> you know, many years ago, and perhaps even now, churches would schedule Revivals. Revival this week, Monday through Friday. Well, I get what's behind that. Like, Lord, do a work here, and we're going to give special attention in that week. But listen, you, you can't schedule a revival by putting it on the church calendar. But you can prepare yourself for revival. G. Campbell Morgan said it well, we cannot organize revival, but we can set our sails to catch the wind from heaven when God chooses to blow upon his people again. Hosea 6, 1 and 2, come, let us return to the Lord. After two days, he will revive us. Well, let's pause here and seek God right now. Focus on him Give him praise. Adore him. Number two, we must repent before seeking revival. So let me just put into words what maybe some of you are thinking. Like, I'm not real interested in this topic today. Maybe you're like, I'm doing okay. Some of us are okay with where we're at. And perhaps we've become comfortable with our pet sins. This can also be threatening to ask for revival because, well, invariably it means change. And some of us are like, I kind of like living like I am. 
even though I know it's wrong and even though I know it's destructive and it's hurting others, at least I'm comfortable in it and it gives me pleasure. And so perhaps you're in a battle right now. You're like, I don't really want to even hear this. One pastor nailed it when he said this, the flesh will fight against revival. For to have revival, we must admit that we have a need and that goes against our fleshly nature. When someone is in a mess, they're in a hard place, and they're wanting help, I'll often ask this question. How badly do you want to get better? And, and a lot of times, and I'd be the same way, to answer this, well, I want to get better. Well, how badly do you want to get better? Are you willing to humble yourself and ask for forgiveness? Are you willing to do whatever it takes to get better? Listen, if you only sort of want to get better, you won't get better. That's one of the keys in Celebrate Recovery. Uh, Mike Russell and I are going to be on the next uh, podcast uh, that we'll release on Wednesday talking about addiction and, and mental health issues and all the decisions and things that we get ourselves wrapped up in. A.W. Tozer writes this. So ponder this. Revival will come to us and within us when we really want it when we pay the price. And a lot of us don't want to pay that price. So perhaps revival has not come because we don't want it badly enough. So sure, we live in a sin-soaked society dripping with downright depravity. We see that and we can spot it in others. We, don't, we can see what's happening. But sometimes we, we need to look inside and just admit Sometimes we as Christians are cold, we're carnal, we're complacent, we're complaining, we're caustic, and even cantankerous. And those words just describe me. I don't know if that was applied to you. Friends, we live in terrible times today. But actually, that qualifies us for revival because those conditions are perfect for revival. Adrian Rogers said it like this, study the history of revival. God has always sent revival in the darkest days. Oh, for a mighty, sweeping revival today. Man, you can't talk much about revival without your mind going to 2 Chronicles 7:14. if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face. And what's the next part? And turn from their wicked ways. You see, there's an if. If, there's four conditions, then. If, then. Then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Two of those four conditions for God to forgive and heal his people have to do with being humble and turning from our wicked ways. 
The first condition is to humble ourselves. The root of the word humility comes from humus, meaning dirt or soil. It has the idea of bending the knee and our neck in deference to another. James 4.10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Isaiah 57.15, to revive the spirit of the lowly. See, revival doesn't come to the proud, to the person who thinks he's all that, who, to a person who thinks other people's sins smell worse than their sins. No, it comes to the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. I heard someone put it like this, humble yourself before the Lord or he'll do it for you. Oh, there's another condition, and that's to turn from our wicked ways. The word turn is used over a thousand times in the Bible. And the order here is significant as we humble ourselves and we pray and we seek God's face with all we have. Our hunger will be satisfied by the sight of God's face and we'll no longer want to hold on to those things that grieve God. And the idea is to change the direction in which our heart is inclined. King Josiah is a good model of this, 2 Kings 23, 25. Josiah turned to the Lord with all his heart and soul and might. And then when he rediscovered the Scriptures, God brought revival. Now, we won't take the time to consider the revival that God brought under Josiah, but I encourage you to read 2 Chronicles 34 and 35 on your own and trace how repentance led to revival, which resulted in rejoicing. Psalm 66, 18, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Friends, there's really no way to soften this command to turn from our wicked ways. And God accepts only one response to sin. It's not rationalizing it. It's not blaming somebody else. It's not excusing it. It's not getting all up in sin management. It's not comparing ourselves to others. He demands that we turn from our wicked ways. Proverbs 28, 13, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find mercy. We could say it like this, the depth of our repentance will determine the depth of our revival. Let me ask a few questions. They're unsettling, perhaps. Have you been playing around with sin? Repent right now. Have you been withholding forgiveness from someone? Have you been too proud to ask forgiveness from someone you've wronged? Stop acting as their judge and free them from ever having to pay you back. Do you have any dark secrets you've been trying to hide from God and from your loved ones? It's time to bring them into the light. Joshua 24, 14, throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped and serve the Lord. Leonard Ravenhill once said, the world has lost its power to blush over its vice. That's certainly true. But check out this last part. The church has lost her power to weep over it. 
I was challenged by this quote from Lori Frank. We can look at our culture the way Jonah looked at Nineveh and want God to clobber them. Or we can look at it the way Jesus looked at Jerusalem and weep. Lord, since you received others in, or revived others in the past, do it again right now and let it begin with me. Let's pause now to confess any sins that perhaps you've not confessed and then go a step further and turn from them, repent of those sins. Number three, we need to be revived on a regular basis. I base that on this phrase, revive us again. In preparation for this message, I read a very helpful book called America's Great Greatest Revivals, and I took some notes. Allow me to share some of those notes. Revivals are Holy Spirit-inspired. They are unpredictable, and they are extraordinary. Secondly, God uses various methods, but most revivals can be traced to a resurgence of the preaching of God's word and to protracted times of prayer. Thirdly, God uses different personalities. I think of Jonathan Edwards. He was studious, reserved. George Whitfield, not so much. Very expressive and passionate. The next thing I wrote down is revivals often happened when things were at their darkest in culture and in churches. Many reported in, quote, intense sensation of the presence of God. Next, some revivals came about because of the preaching of judgment and the reality of hell. Think of Jonathan Edwards. While others can be traced to this overwhelming emphasis upon the love of God. Think of Charles Spurgeon and D.L. Moody. Many revivals broke out among students, teenagers, and young adults. By the way, there were 84 in the student center on Wednesday night. Next, there's always an emphasis upon personal salvation, people coming to faith in Christ, and sanctification this desire to live in holiness. Waves of conviction caused people to repent of their sins. In many revivals, people would wander into churches not even sure why they were there. Sometimes in the middle of the day, they'd come in and they'd drop to their knees, weeping, confessing their sins, it happened in a lot of the revivals. W. Graham Scroge writes, there never has been a spiritual revival which did not begin with an acute sense of sin. Christians often felt an urgency to share Jesus Christ with everyone. Why? Because of the reality of hell and judgment. 
Preachers from various denominations would partner together in gospel proclamation. This is interesting. Some revivals had a sense of holy stillness, the sense of awe and quiet. And others? Well, others were much more spectacular. Many revivals had some excesses in them, emotional excesses, even strange occurrences. And we read about that even at Asbury. When revivals were going on, it was common for Christians to oppose them, to criticize them, and even to mock those revivals. Many revivals led to God raising up missionaries and the start of missions. Some of the revivals in our country and in England led to a theological and doctrinal resurgence. we got to figure out what we believe and why we believe it. Next, revivals affected society and culture. In fact, if you study American history, you cannot study the history of America apart from the influence of revivals. And revivals eventually end, but the results can last a long time. A lady once asked Billy Sunday this question, why do you keep having revivals when they don't last? He simply smiled and asked her, why do you keep taking baths? (laughs) Do you want me to repeat that or did you get that? And finally, revivals often came about through the commitment and influence of just one individual, one person. See, some of us are like, yeah, I wish revival would come. I wish that pastor would get revived, or I wish my wife would, or my husband would, or they would, just through the influence of one person. Vance Havner said this, a revival is the church falling in love with Jesus Christ all over again. This is a good point to pause and to pray for God to revive you. Ask him to do it. Number four, revival and rejoicing are connected. The word rejoice means to be joyful, to gloat in God. David knew that unconfessed sin was sapping his joy. That's why he prayed these words, Psalm 51, verse 12, Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Have you ever considered that your sour spirit, if you find yourself to be grumpy and sour and always complaining, that it may be, I'm not saying it is, but that may be connected to sin in your life. See, it's hard to be happy when we're living an unholy life because guilt will gut our joy and the shame that comes from sinning will rupture our rejoicing. I mean, we see that in Psalm 32. Before David was confronted by Nathan the prophet, he had had committed adultery with Bathsheba and he had murdered Uriah, her husband, to try to cover it all up. He was content just to live like that. But when he reflected on that, this is what he wrote. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. 
You see, repentance brings refreshment. Acts 3, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out and that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. One commentator put it precisely, no repentance, no refreshing. And when God revives us, oh, we can't help but rejoice. Lord, since you revived others in the past, do it again right now and let it begin with me. Take some time now. And ask the Lord to restore to you the joy of your salvation. Number five, revival is for those who've been reborn. Notice in this verse the phrase, your people. There are at least 16 revivals recorded in Scripture. Five of the seven churches listed in Revelation 2 and 3 are challenged to repent and return to the Lord. You see, God knows his people can lose their first love, and he knows we can get soft in our spirituality and disengage from what he deems most important. In Habakkuk 3, the prophet prays, O Lord, I've heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. I like what Billy Sunday once said, when is revival needed? When carelessness and unconcern keep the people asleep. A revival does two things. It returns the church from her backsliding, and second, it causes the conversion of men and women. It always includes the conviction of sin on the part of the church. Charles Finney said a revival is nothing else than a new beginning of obedience to God. Biblical revival comes to God's people who determine to follow God's plan so that they can receive God's promises. Number six, we need to pray for revival. Notice this is a request in the form of a question. Will you not revive us again? Rick Joyner writes, every revival in history seems to be the result of a few people becoming so hungry for God that they wanted him more than oxygen. Well, I'm going to lead us in prayer in just a bit, but before that, listen to these convicting words from Leonard Ravenhill. No man is greater than his prayer life. The pastor who's not praying is playing. The people who are not praying are straying. We have many organizers, but few agonizers, many players and payers, but few prayers. Many fears, few tears, much fashion, little passion, many interferers, few intercessors, many writers, few fighters. The only reason we don't have revival is because we're willing to live without it. Lord, since you revived others in the past, do it again right now and let it begin with me. Revival must begin with me and with you. Drop down to verse 8, Psalm 85. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak. It's always easier to confess someone else's sins, but revival begins with the person you see when you look in the mirror. Gypsy Smith, an English evangelist, was once asked what the secret of revival is. This was his answer. Go home. Take a piece of chalk and draw a circle around yourself. Draw a circle around yourself and then say, Lord, revive what's ever in this circle. And then revival 
will come.